0: hello and welcome back to another episode of caught looking a baseball podcast hosted by myself max greenfield and my co-host ryan garcia ryan how are you doing today
1: i'm doing all right i uh i went bowling last night uh my, my middle finger is in a good amount of pain. I kind of talked a little bit of smack, uh, scored a 90. So, you know, not the best night, not the best night for uh, my bowling career, but uh, not that I really had one. Uh, but overall, no, I, I mean, I'm having a good day. It's a, it's a nice Sunday. Got all my homework done, uh, you know, excited to uh, talk some baseball.
0: My uh, my younger brother is very good at bowling. He's rolled like several games over 200 and everything. He averages like 170 in the 180 range. Um, me, on the other hand, I'm just like hoping to break 100 when I bowl. Like if I break 100, had a good day. I went with my fiance a couple of weeks ago and the two of us were like killing it in the first game. Like she got like a 140 or 150 score and I ended up getting like a 180. Uh, dude, I don't know what got into me that day. Like just felt so good. Second game, not as good. We won't discuss that. But like bowling's very fun. It's a good group activity and everything like that. Um, it's actually not a bad date activity too. If you're, you're out there listening and you want some love advice, take it from... I guess for me, I guess, but yeah, not definitely uh, yeah. <laughs> not me.
1: Do not take love advice from me. I am not good at this.
0: Uh, bowling is a very fun date idea. Um, but yeah, uh, we're gonna get into some baseball. We'll obviously discuss the postseason and how wrong and right we were about certain things, and and uh, a kind of fun discussion about off season training uh, in a little bit as well. But we're gonna open with it was reported today from Andrew Baggerly of the Athletic that Alyssa Nakin, who was one of the Giants uh, coaches and has been their first base coach and quality uh, control coordinator at different points in her Giants coaching career, uh, interviewed to be uh, the next manager of the San Francisco Giants, making her the first woman, I believe, to ever be interviewed for uh, the manager position in professional baseball. This is a moment in history and it's uh, really cool to see for the sport. It, It, you know, it's really awesome that we've gotten to this place where this is a possibility. Um, there's a possibility she can get the job, and both of those things are are great. And I'm really happy that we're at this stage.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, like her interview will open up doors, I believe, for other uh, prominent uh, women coaches and and people in baseball uh, to have an opportunity to, you know, work their way up the ladder. Obviously, you know, another really notable uh managerial role that was given at the minor league level was to Rachel uh Balkovich uh for the Yankees single A team in Tampa. Um and so, you know, we're we're seeing it's it's a new it's definitely a new um a new a new a new day for baseball, right? And um ultimately I, I think one of the biggest things is that uh, you know, it'll set a precedent. I think that when we finally get our first major league manager who happens to be uh, a woman, it'll open the door for, uh, you know, other women in sports to aspire for more, right? Like I, I think one of the toughest uh, challenges uh, happens to be that there's just nobody else that looks like you in those roles. And that's tough, right? Um, you know, that's something that I, I think most people who haven't experienced that in their life don't understand the like the gravity of that or the magnitude of it. There is some sort of like, intimidation factor that comes with that and you know again we don't know if she's going to get the job but her getting an official interview is huge right it's absolutely massive um and uh you know looking forward um we'll we'll, again we'll see how this plays out we'll see you know what this opens up for her or for uh, again other coaches in baseball but again just i think it's a good day for baseball Do you think it's just overall these are really good news for the sport of baseball
0: completely agree just a very very good day for the sport of baseball Um, definitely again, progress, just, just progress in the right direction, moving in the right direction with this, uh, definitely stuff that we want to see moving forward. Uh, if she got the job also, she'd be very deserving, um, from people around the giants have said that she is extremely bright. Um, and the players clearly really like her, um, not super sure she gets it, not, Again, not because she's not deserving. Clearly, she is. They also interviewed uh, Kai Correa, who is their bench coach and uh, interim manager at the end of the year. Um, it, Susan Sussler just reported literally two minutes ago that Stephen Vogt is going to interview for the job as well. I'm just curious what route they decide to go with this job. Um, we can kind of discuss there. Are, there are a couple manager openings. Um, right now we'll discuss the Giants first they had Gabe Kapler as their as their manager and there's a lot of things you could say about Gabe Kapler um, but he was very good in terms of what you would expect it's like always kind of managing every game in terms of like like it's your last I guess and that might work in do or die situations and everything like that and You know, We saw in the 2021 uh, NLDS, that was a great series. Kapler made a lot of really good decisions and everything. But over the course of a long season, that's just tough to do. I mean, there are times where you just have to make the outright wrong decision because that's what benefits your team. You and I have discussed this in the past of like, sometimes you have to leave the starter out there because you need to give your bullpen a break. And so you kind of just have to wear it. Um, There are other times where you leave the starter out there earlier in the season because you need to challenge him. You know, we saw, you know, Aaron Boone left Clark Schmidt out there probably longer than he needed to multiple times at the end of the year. And that was for the purpose of like, Hey, you got to prove that you can do this. Like prove to me that you deserve the chance to be a guy who can work deep into games. Um, that's part of managing and Gabe Kapler never really did that in terms of in-game decision-making and, um, And his feel for the clubhouse was apparently, I mean, not super great. I mean, obviously the Giants, those reports at the end of the year, losing creates dysfunction. And so you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt and everything like that, but reports at the end of the year were not super great. Obviously his handling in Philly was also apparently not super great either. So that's two places where it's like, you kind of question how good he is at leading a clubhouse. Um, So that's something that the Giants may value in their next manager you know the appeal of Nakin is obviously she knows those guys, right? Like she's been there for you know a couple of years now. She knows this group. She knows Farhan. She knows how the Giants like to operate. She's seen how the Giants you know operate when things go well too. So uh, it's something to consider. But I'm I'm curious to see if if they move moved away from Kapler, how much in the other direction do you think they're going to go?
1: It's interesting because you know Stephen Vogt obviously provides like that player, um, that player experience, right? And, and you know we we we've talked about the Yankees a, a few times in this podcast and kind of like communication, all those issues, um, where it's like they brought in Sean Casey because he could relate to the players, right? And and, and Stephen Vogt, like he he would obviously be, you know, I think a great person for that. Like he's, he's a very well-respected guy in, in baseball uh, now retired, obviously had a, had a really nice playing career. Um, you know, is a legend in that part of, of California. Um, so, you know, ultimately uh, I think that if that's a direction they want to go, I think vote's probably the best candidate for that job. Um, again, I don't know him directly and I'm not sitting there doing interviews, so I'm not the most qualified person to speak on that. Um, but, you know, just like from, if, if that's a direction they want to. To go, that's fine kai Correa, like he was the interim manager he was the bench coach if the players seem to just like playing under him or have good things to say about him it wouldn't be a hard trans- transition it would be hey you go from interim to the full-time manager is i'm pretty sure that's what rob thompson was uh this past off season if i'm not mistaken so uh yep. you know it's not like uh, i mean it's not saying that and, and rob thompson's really developed into like one of the best managers in baseball. Like, we're going to talk about him a little bit later, but, like, low key just does an excellent job, right? Um, and then, obviously, we talked uh, about Nakin, right? Like, Nakin's been in the organization a while, for a while. She uh, was originally part of their uh, front office and it kind of has played more of a hybrid role uh, on this team as, like, a coach-slash-FO-type uh, person. Um, so the question is kind of what are you looking for here? Are you looking for – I think Nakin might be the best at, like, just, like – in the sense of what Kapler was able to do in terms of just being creative, being very forward thinking, I think she would be able to excel at that. Um, but if that's not the route they feel like is most important for this team, they think, hey, you know, manager decisions don't matter, quote unquote, that much. And we can probably get similar managerial decisions in terms of like success rate out of the other two candidates. And vote is like the player guy or-, or Correa actually managed his team for a little bit. And-, and the players have good things to say about either of the two, then they'll get the job. Um, and another key, really important thing here, that is a desirable managerial job because that ownership group or that front office has let Kapler, they let him do some wonky stuff, man. They, they basically had two full-time starters for the entire season, or at least towards the end there. It's not like that front office has been like closed off to letting managers do their thing or letting, uh, you know, just having some creativity or being forward thinking. And so, you know, I, I think it makes it a, a, a desirable job. I think if it's one of these three candidates, I'm not sure if they're they're gonna be interviewing anybody else. I, I, I imagine we'll know in the next couple of days. That's a pretty strong like three to have to start off in terms of candidates. If you you know, I I think that they're gonna be in good hands managerially, uh, regardless of the outcome. Assuming again, they don't like hire I don't know fucking Joe Madden or some shit, which they won't.
0: Yeah, it it, it it's a good job. It is a you're right. It's a very desirable job in baseball. Um. I think something that's interesting about the job that you that you brought up there at the end is yeah, they do really let the manager kind of have some free reign and do do his thing a little bit, uh, which is good. It's good to have that kind of freedom. Um Bochi kind of talked about it too. It, it's a little bit more collaborative now than when he was coming up. Um, but it, it's still it's still interesting. Um there are some rumors uh that they may try to interview Mark Katze, who's currently with the A's. Uh, they will interview Ron Wotus. Um, there's some rumors around Donnie Ecker as well. Uh, just a couple other guys. Obviously, there's some you know if Craig Council becomes av- available, that's another potential guy that could uh, be interviewed for that position. But moving towards the Guardians, who also have a managerial opening for a completely different reason. Uh, Terry Francona retired from baseball. Um, And they have already had some guys who are on the staff like Sandy Alomar said he wouldn't take the job. Um, There are some other guys who have presumably uh, not taken the job, but they have announced that uh, Yankees bench coach Carlos Mendoza will be interviewing for the job. Uh, Mendoza has some managing experience in uh, the winter leagues um and i believe was also an option to manage team venezuela if he didn't manage team venezuela as well in the world baseball classic um so he's got some managerial experience um curious to see where they go their guardians are kind of terry was such a long-term stay there that it's really going to be interesting to see what they're kind of looking for in a manager um They've had this old school guy who's been around the block for a long time. Now they kind of have this opportunity to do something fresh. I'm curious to see if they bring in, you know, maybe a different kind of mind. Um, There are some different speculations. Mike Napoli has popped up a few times. Um, Walt Weiss, Mike Schilt, who have obviously managerial experience, have also popped up. Um, So I'm curious to see where they go. They could bring back uh, Ruben Niebla, who I believe is the pitching coach of the Padres. He was... Uh, part of the Cleveland organization for a long time. So they got some options. I'm curious to see what they do.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, look, the manager hunt and like kind of like the manager, but I guess it's the manager carousel kind of like the question. I, I, is it really a carousel? I mean, it's it's not really. I don't think that qualifies in this case, right? Like it's not like carousel. Be lo- right, it's, it's different. I, I, but, you know, I, I think the toughest thing with making a decision is that or talking about it like as outsiders is that, again, we don't get to interview these guys, right? Like we don't we don't know what they're looking for number 1 we don't know what the players want number 2 number 3 we don't we just we don't know what they're like where where these different uh like former players or uh you know coaches from different organizations what they specifically believe in right like um you know you, you wouldn't say Aaron Boone is like the most analytical like the most analytical guy in the world not saying he's like a dumb manager or anything so but he's not like Hey, I'm going to do what Gabe Kapler does. Like, that's not him. He's more of like, Hey, um, you know, I am, I like, I'm here to like, you know, he, he's, he's a player's manager. If you get what I'm saying. Um, Correct. And, and you're trying to get the right manager for the right clubhouse. And, and that's kind of the big thing here. Obviously it's, it's weird with Francona because like you, you would say, or you would argue, Hey, in terms of decision-making and we saw this in the 2022 ALDS probably wasn't, you know, probably wasn't capable of being like one of the better managers in baseball anymore but it's hard to argue that the players didn't love him. It's impossible to argue that there wasn't some sort of, you know what I mean? Like, even clearly, if... very,
0: very well liked
1: exactly. within his
0: own clubhouse and within the organization. And that's part of the battle, right? Being a manager nowadays is not, you know, when you think of like the 1990s and like the Bobby Coxes and the Joe Tories and the Bruce Boches from when he was coming up and everything, they had a lot of power, right? They controlled the bullpen decisions. They wrote the lineups. Like, they were also in charge of the clubhouses. Like, they had a lot more power. Nowadays, those things are a lot more collaborative. You know, you could say it's for better or for worse. It's, um, you know, in terms of efficiency, something we have discussed in the past. It's probably for the better, uh, which may come up the harm of the product, which is a conversation we have had on this podcast. But, I mean, your job now as a manager primarily is managing personalities bullpen decisions lineup construction that stuff is you know kind of thought about on more of an organizational level level rather than a managerial level which makes as you said kind of discussing these things a little tough because we also as you said we're not interviewing the managers but we're also not interviewing the people that are interviewing the managers we don't know what they're looking for Are the guardians looking for something completely different than Terry Francona? We don't know. Are the guardians looking for something in that similar vein to Terry, to Terry Francona, a a baseball lifer who's been around the block and players really respect and everything. That's going to be hard to emulate because Terry Francona is, you know, one of a few that kind of fit that bill. Uh, So it's just, we don't know. Um, but it 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 will be interesting. I think you're right that maybe in terms of X's and O's and like managing playoff games and stuff. Francona probably wasn't that great at the job in terms of that anymore. Um, probably been a few years in terms of like poor decision making in-game and stuff like that. Hard to evaluate again from the outside. We don't always know. But I think even Cleveland fans would kind of tell you like, yeah, he wasn't the best at in-game stuff anymore. But what do you, like, are you going to go for Kevin Cash? Well, obviously it would be interesting to see if they did try for Kevin Cash, considering he has so many connections to that coaching staff and to that organization. But I doubt he leaves Tampa. So, just curious to see where they go. Um, the third job opening is with the Anna, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Or sorry, I'm sorry, they're just the Los Angeles Angels now. Um, the big front runner for this is supposedly Buck Walter, which is I don't know, just crazy to me. Like, you you got rid of Joe Madden, you brought in Phil Nevin. It's not really Phil Nevin's fault. Like, he kind of like you're just bringing in another manager. And now you're going to Buck Showalter, like thinking he'll magically turn things around. What are we doing, man? What are we doing?
1: I don't know if I have words for the Angels. Like, again, we've talked about just like. There were like, look, I get it. There are the Colorado Rockies, right? Like, it's just like, wow, what is this organization, right? And and look, again, I am a 19-year-old kid who has never worked in a baseball front office, does not have any experience of the sort, but- the Angels stand out in terms of dysfunction, man. Like this is obviously a bad call. This is obviously not the right decision. This is obviously not a move you should be making. Um, and look, all respect to Buck Showalter, um, very well liked guy. Like I'm, I, I know that decisions again, not great decisions. I wouldn't put him in that same tier of like a Terry Francona, but I would say you know in the same in, in a tier of in the terms of like good baseball dude, he seems to check those boxes off. I just don't think he can manage in the modern game. I, I don't think that's I think if you're the Angels, you're thinking, man, life without Shohei Otani, perhaps life without Mike Trout at some point. We need to start anew. It's it's they feel like they're so they are so against just starting anew. You know what I mean? They're so against just press the goddamn reset button. Set button, yeah. Did you see that? Report totally agree. that the Rays were willing to give Junior Caminero for wow. I just butchered. You know what? I'm just not gonna go back on that. Um, that they're willing to give him up for Shohei Otani um yeah and the makes like, sense you could have had a guy who is going to anchor your not maybe not anchor your line for a while but has a chance to for a player that you weren't bringing back you know what i mean for a player that isn't going back to you for a player that will not be a los angeles angel come opening day in 2024 and you've known it for years and you were like nah we're good i You I Look, I I hate selling. I hate giving up. I hate that type of stuff. I understand you want to do right by your fans, but this isn't doing right by your fans. I would understand if they went all in and then said, yeah, and we're going to do everything humanly possible. The top bidder for Shohei Otani will be us, no matter what, right? A mentality like that, fine. Yeah, like you can justify going all in and continuing to kind of just like throw – shit out of wall and hope it sticks, right? Because you're you're bringing back Otani, right? And you're trying to win with Shoya Otani-Mike-Charles. It's an honorable, admirable thing. You know what I mean? I can respect it. This isn't that though. They, they are, they're half in, half out. You can't be half in, half out. You're either all in or you're not. You're not in at all. You gotta know when to sell. You gotta want to start anew. What does Buck Showalter do for this organization? Uh, it, it's it just, it, it sends them backwards, right? You're trying to go forwards. You're trying to move forward in today's game. How many times does the team, like, look at the Yankees and Astros, right? In terms of just like pure process, right? They took steps back when they decided to try to take, like, you know what I mean? When they decided to say, hey, we don't need to take another step forward. This is a league that rewards teams for taking steps forward. This is a league that rewards teams for trying to be innovative. This is a league that rewards teams for trying to push kind of the envelope in terms of you know just just trying to find that competitive edge. There is no that that there is none of that in Buckshow Walter is the complete antithesis of that. Yeah,
0: it's you gotta like if they hired Gabe Kapler, that wouldn't be a bad call. I know I just talked about some clubhouse issues and stuff like that, but Kepler's pretty innovative, willing to try most things that you can get him, and everything he definitely doesn't have like, you know, preconceived notions about certain stuff. He's willing to do stuff. That would be an interesting hire. That would be saying like, hey, we're going to mix things up. That might be an encouraging sign. But no, like if you hire Buck Showalter, it's like okay, expect more of the same. Like there's no farm system there. It's really bad. They're getting rid of some player development people who I uh, have known and or I know people who know them and you know it's not their fault. their owner just doesn't know what they're doing. And so this the, the direction of the franchise will continue to not really make sense until they decide to go a different direction and hit the reset button. but it sounds like they're not doing that anytime soon. Uh, the final job opening as of now was where Buck Walter was coming from. And it's, uh, the New York Mets, David Stearns, basically straight up said, like, I want to come in and I want to hire my own guys and he should, he should have every right to do that and everything like that. Um, it's interesting because if Craig council becomes available, obviously a lot of people attach counsel to the Mets and everything, which would make sense, um, you know, council and Stearns worked together for many, many years. Um, what's interesting though is council from what people have kind of talked to is like it, they doubt it. They they think Milwaukee still really likes him, so they'll probably give him the money that he wants. Um so it's interesting to see where they go. Um, they haven't really had any names attached to their job right now. They're it's all kind of speculative and everything. Um, there's some rumors about uh, Joe Espada being potentially the front runner for that job. That would be a very David Stearns-like hire. Um, uh, the fact that Espada is not a manager already is kind of surprising. I still blows my mind. He didn't take one of the, or get one of the jobs from last year's openings and everything, considering there were like nine of them. Um, Espada is a, a, probably the front runner. For every kind of well ran or smart GM team, because um, he's extremely bright and has been with Houston under two different managers there now, um, was under Joe Girardi when he was with the Yankees as well. Um, yeah, I mean, Espada is probably a very good choice for this job, and it would probably be the front runner if counsel is not available.
1: Anytime your resume says you've been a longtime coach in the New York Yankees organization, Houston Astros organization you're doing something right. Right. Like I know I just talked about like them taking steps back in some regards, but like they we're talking about like, Hey, they went from, they make consistently like decisions that usually work out to they've made some gaffes, right? Like they've become a little more human. If you get what I'm saying now, the Astros, obviously I, I got to give, I can't, I can't give the Yankees the same credit. I'm going to give the Astros given obviously the, the disparage in success. Like I gotta, I gotta recognize that that's how baseball is. I, I know it's not always a results based industry but at some point results do matter um but yeah you have those two teams in your resume man <laughs> you're doing something right you know like these these are not two teams that keep coaches that especially nowadays that aren't innovative right like Larry Rothschild was like, I, 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 it's funny because I, and I remember telling you this, I had always grown up just like villainizing him in my head. Like he, he is the reason why everything, every pitcher didn't work out for the Yankees. But it's like, if you look at the staffs he led and some of the guys who came up through that system, especially through the bullpen, there were some really good Larry Rothschild pitching staffs. That 2017 pitching staff was freaking awesome. That 2018 pitching staff was pretty good. 2019, not so much, but they got hurt a lot. Like that was a different situation. Um, the Yankees moved off of him because they needed someone who was a little more innovative. It's not because he had a bad run. If you get know what I'm saying? Um, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you, you don't become a long time coach for one of these organizations because you're bad at your job, right? Especially when it comes to the roles that a has filled on those two teams. So I think to be an awesome hire for the Mets, I can just be, and as you mentioned, it'd be cool to see him get a managerial job, man. Like he's deserved it. He's earned it for a while. You see, like this is a move the angels should be making. The angels should be like, Hey, Joe Espada, come here, man. Like here's, here's like, you mentioned gig Capler, like a spot, like dude, he's, I, I'm not saying he's clearly the answer because again, we don't know him as a coach personally. I do not know what a certain organization is looking for, but damn, I think it would be really hard to argue that Buck show is a better manager than Joe Espada would be in the year 2023 or 2024, I
0: guess. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, there's very little argument to make for uh show in front of Espada. Um but just curious to see what the Mets do. Angels, I'm not, not not feeling too good about the direction of that organization, but I guess I can't be too surprised. Moving forward, uh all of the division series have wrapped up just like we said they would. Um and gonna be honest, it wasn't particularly all that interesting. Um There were a lot of blowouts. There were a lot of not that interesting games. Um, Starting with the Dodgers and Diamondbacks, you were right. The Dodgers were in trouble. They got swept. Uh, They pitched extremely poorly. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman went extremely cold. Um, And that was it. That's all she wrote for the Dodgers this year. The Diamondbacks moved to the LCS for just the third time in franchise history. Good for them. Clearly, I've underrated that team too much there. Uh, They got a lot of things to like they're hitting a bunch of home runs, which is very helpful. That's definitely helped their, uh, their team. Now they did face a Dodgers pitching staff that was giving up a ton of home runs. So it's curious to see what happens when they face the Phillies who are not giving up home runs. Um, But I mean, it just, just a disaster from the Dodgers pitching staff or starting staff, I should say their bullpen did a pretty remarkable job of finding ways to keep them in games after game one. Um, And you know, Props to Dave Roberts. So many people were calling for his head, but man, those games were relatively close because he made a lot of really good decisions. Um, and so, props to Dave Roberts. Uh, you know, you you hate to say like games are on like a couple players and everything, but you you know Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman like they got to be better. They just have to. You, you you need your superstars to be superstars in the postseason, and they weren't, and that's why they're at home.
1: Yeah, I mean, I said, oh, the Dodgers are going to blow out the Dimebacks like a record margin. And uh, (laughs) that did not happen in the slightest. These games weren't really competitive, right? Like, as you mentioned, it's like Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, like all year, just, it's funny too, because like, again, as a Yankees fan, like all year, it was like, hey, if we had Freddie Freeman, we'd win a World Series. And I'm not like victory laughing. Like, oh, look, spending money so bad. It's more like the playoffs are a crapshoot. Like, (laughs) There is no reason why Freddie Freeman shouldn't be good in the postseason. The same goes for Mookie Betts. There, there is zero statistical. There are zero flaws in their game offensively. Don't feed me. You can't even sit here and say, like, oh, well, there are two strikeout heavy hitters. No, these two guys have ridiculous hit tools, unbelievable game power. Both are incredible base runners, high IQ, great defensive, World Series champions, everything you want to say, right? Like they are some of the safest players in all of Major League Baseball. I think that's fair to say. No, like I, I don't think that's too far off. They didn't play well. Like, it wasn't even like, okay, superstar. They didn't even, like, come close to being playable. It was weird. Um, Now, obviously, again, like, the starting rotation did not do them any favors. Uh, Kershaw had, I mean, we talked about Kershaw, uh, just one of the worst starts you could possibly have. Um, Lance Lynn just, like, he just kind of did what he did all regular season, just give up an absurd amount of home runs. Bob Miller didn't look great. I, I was expecting a little bit more out of Miller. I thought he was he had the best chance of performing well. It he didn't show up. You mentioned the bullpen; they did a really good job, yeah, of just keeping the Dodgers in the game. They're just they just didn't play well. Like I, it's they got they got the they got the brakes being off of them. You know what I mean? Like that's that's yeah. the only way to put it.
0: Listen, we've talked before about how well ran the Dodgers are and everything like that. Um, and there are a lot of fans who are like, this something needs to change. You know, we can't accept this year as if they didn't win hundred games again, uh, for the third time in a row. And this was supposed to be a reset year too. Like that's what's crazy about this year for the Dodgers. And I'm not saying it wasn't like great in the you know, uh, great year and everything like that. No, I mean they got steamrolled in the NLDS when they should have made the NLCS and potentially even the World Series. That should have happened and they came up short. You can argue for or against that in any way that you want. But This was supposed to be a reset year for them. And listen, I don't think they really need to change much. They're going to sign Shohei Otani, more than likely. And they'll probably, like, I feel like Jordan Montgomery is, like, such a good pickup for them. I I just have this weird feeling that he's, like, somebody like him is going to be a Dodger next year. Um, So, I'm, again, it would be funny if they signed Eduardo Rodriguez, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be funny?
1: That would be hilarious. be hilarious. They they are they like look. I, I've said this off record that like Jordan Montgomery and the Dodgers would be sick. But after seeing the Bob Nightingale report, nobody's allowed to touch my Pookie Bear. Uh, that's my guy. Uh, nobody's allowed. Nobody's allowed. Jordan Montgomery. He, he must be a Yankee. He must complete the arc of being Andy Pettit and leaving for a Texas. This is a. I didn't even realize the Texas connection. Leaving playing for a Texas team. It's not a perfect one for one, but like who cares? Uh, and then coming back and playing for the New York Yankees again. Uh, but in all seriousness. The Dodgers, yeah, like they need to go out and get pitching, like as an expert on coming up short, like they, they just, they felt that look, they fell flat, man. Like I, I think relative to expectations coming into the year, you would say, Hey, a hundred wins is great. But you even, even like in a reset year for the Dodgers, you didn't expect them to get steamrolled by the Dimebacks in the first round. Obviously something needs to not something needs to change, but obviously something needs to just go their way another year. Like that's just kind of the best way to put it. If you're a Dodger fan, you're like, we got to fire people in the front office. No, like, <laughs> I'm you're not going to lie. I don't you're think wrong. I like you very much. Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, look, if you're a Dodger fan listening to this and you're like, wow, you're really like, you're being really, tar- you're targeting people right now. Like, yeah, no, I-, I don't think I like you if you're a Dodgers fan and you want your front like people in your front office fired. Like, I- I'm going to be honest. Max, I- I'm an honest guy. That's kind of what I do. Uh, I don't like pulling punches. I don't think I can like those type of people. I just don't think I I, I cannot d- d- if you're a Dodger fan, you're probably a fan of the best front office in baseball. Maybe one of the best ran teams in all sports, if not the best front team in all sports. Yeah,
0: that's, I, yeah, that's
1: fair. Like, look at look at how many organizations just have years where they're on like they're not unwatchable, but they're just flat out mediocre, right? Like the Yankees just won eighty two games, right? I know the Astros, they haven't had that year yet. I understand. Don't get me wrong. They are, they have done everything well in the postseason. I completely understand. But saying, hey, we're not the Astros. So everything we've done is an abject failure. is kind of insane. No, like I feel like if you win a World Series in a window, you're consistently a really good playoff team. Um, You're consistently always competing for the World Series. You, you, you have to ask yourself at some point if it's a little bit much to say that guy's got to get fired, right? Like, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, nobody nobody in the Dodgers should be fired. They should bring Dave Roberts back. I th- again, I told you, he was my NL manager of the year pick. Like, I really think that this guy did an incredible job this year. And even in the NLDS, I thought the dude did an incredible job. Um, so I don't think they make any major changes. I think they sign Shohei Otani. I think they sign another starter. And then I think they try and like find ways to get their prospects in good positions to succeed like they always do. And maybe go after some bats just to fill out those spots but yeah the dodgers are fine they're going to compete again next year probably win 100 plus games again moving into uh the baltimore and texas series as the alcs game one is about to get started um texas just they just dominated again just an absolute lashing uh you know again got it wrong here texas clearly Deserved a lot more love than I was giving them. Um, They got, again, some really good starting pitching from Nathan of in game three Um, team was Montgomery wasn't particularly good in game two, but great, great work from the bullpen in game game two there. Um, Yeah, I mean, Texas is just hammering the baseball right now, hitting a bunch of home runs, hitting the ball really hard. And I told you know, back on an earlier episode, I did say like if Texas gets in, they could be dangerous, and they're making me they they're making that me look good. Um, but Baltimore didn't get a starting pitcher at the deadline, and they it paid for it. You know, they're, they rolled out there with you know Game one, Kyle Bradish, who was pretty good, just didn't last very long. Uh, game two, Grayson Rodriguez, who got absolutely shelled, and then Game three, Dean Kramer, um, and Yeah, it went about as well as one could have hoped, I guess. Um, I think Texas is very good. I think Baltimore had a great season. I think they have some things that they definitely need to improve on, and I'm curious to see what they do. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, definitely just wasn't a very interesting series again.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it... it, It's not something that, like, I want to sit here and just, like, rip the Orioles after a year that they won 100 games. Like, l- again, putting into perspective, like, that is a very well-ran front office. That is a team that is going to be pretty good for a pretty decent amount of time. Um, But not going all in, obviously, is what cost them. And and we've talked about this a ton. Uh, So I'm not going to, like, hammer the point of, yeah, the Orioles should have gone out all in, like, no shit. Like, I don't think anybody needs to sit through a podcast of somebody saying the Orioles should have done more. Like, I think everybody kind of knows that at this point. Um, but, you know, I, I think it just, I-, I wanted to just kind of appreciate the Texas team a little bit more. They did a really good job in the LDS. They've done a really good job so far in the postseason. Y- you know, you were talking about this uh, with me, uh, I think it was during game two. Cody Bradford, man just shoved in that game, right? Like, look, if you want, if you want to win playoff games, it's going to take a guy like Cody Bradford, who wasn't necessarily finding it as a starter uh, this year. And, getting big time relief endings out of them, right? Like it's, it's stuff like that, that wins you playoff games. It's, it's stuff like that, that allows you to go deep into the postseason and, you know, small snippet size, of course. So not trying to say that you should take this and say, he's clearly a good reliever, but in his 22 and a third innings of work out of the bullpen, 25% strikeout rate, 1.2% walk rate, 0.72 whip, uh, two, eight, two ERA. If that translates in the postseason, man, and he just doesn't give up the long ball, He'll be fine, right? Like he'll do. He'll do more than fine in, in a bullpen role. They needed. They just needed guys who could bridge that bullpen. That bullpen is incredibly hard to navigate through because, in terms of like as a manager for the Rangers, not for an opposing offense, it's actually pretty easy to manage through here in offense. But uh, you know, you're, you've got to trust that a role is Chapman doesn't have to roll this Chapman Knight, right? Like you just got to trust that he's going to go into a game and he's going to execute enough pitches. It doesn't have to look pretty. It doesn't have to be smooth sailing. Your heart rate doesn't have to stay low the entire time, but he just has to execute enough pitches. That's basically what he did in game one, where it's like, Hey, just please get out of the jams. Just execute enough, do enough. Right. Um, And that's, that's going to be the recipe for success. Also having guys go deep into games, Jordan Montgomery, and Nathan Evaldi, shout out both of them. Like, I know Montgomery didn't pitch, as you mentioned, as well in game two, but Evaldi in both games, he's pitched. Big game pitcher, number one. But number two, just going deep into the game. It's just so important to get your starters to go deep into games. It's so important when your frontline guys can go deep into baseball games, can get you valuable innings. Because end of the day, if you can't get six, seven innings reliably out of your number one or your number two, are you really going to be winning playoff games with that bullpen? With a really good bullpen, like Tampa, you can do that. With a really good bullpen, like the Dodgers, you can do that. Now, the Dodgers don't really have the front lines so pitching right now, but you get my point. Um, the Astros, the Phillies, we're going to talk about the Phillies soon, but, like, they don't have that bullpen. They have to play to their strengths. And right now, this is one of their strengths. They're getting Scherzer back, they're getting Gray back. We'll see how they look out of the, like, coming off of injury. They're massive question marks. Um, but, yeah, definitely a fun series for the Rangers. And uh, a long offseason for the Orioles. We'll have to sit back and think, like, hey – How are we going to take that next step into real World Series contenders?
0: Yep, it's going to be a long offseason for for the Orioles. Um, Michael, I met with the media shortly after, and there weren't a ton of encouraging things said um, about the the status of money being spent, but I wouldn't call it a big surprise. Um, Moving into the Houston-Minnesota series, Minnesota won Game 2. They got absolutely dominated in game three, uh, lost up, I believe, 10 to one. Jose Abreu had two home runs in that game. Um, And then in game four, uh, looked pretty bleak early. Um, And I believe Sonny Gray gave up four runs in the first inning, partially because of an error. Jose Abreu again went yard. Um, Or was that game three? I can't remember. That was actually game three. That's right. Uh game four was Joe Ryan, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. No, I think game three was Joe. Was it game four? Uh I gotta double check. Game four, I believe, game three game two, I believe, what game three, excuse me, I believe was uh Joe Ryan. Because that was the weird game where he came no, game out of Bailey Joe... Ober. Was it was it Joe Ryan in game four?
0: It was Joe Ryan game four. Oh, I'm
1: thinking Bailey Ober, I guess, because I think Bailey Ober got like smoked in game three, if you remember that like, coming out of the bullpen Yeah. They just, they just got lit up. And then that game got like that game. Not that the game wasn't over at that point, but that game was really put away when Ober was on the mound. But Twins FC, man, um, not not the ending we were looking for.
0: <laughs> they put up a good fight in game four. Uh, they were down three to two after the sixth inning and just couldn't get that final run across. Uh, very interestingly, Carlos Correa was actually on deck when uh, Ryan Presley got Max Kepler out. So that would have been interesting to see if Carlos Correa could have come up to extend the season narratives going crazy there. Uh, Twins just, they just got outmatched by a better version of what they want to be. Right. Like the starting pitching wasn't what they needed. Whereas Houston's starting pitching was, um, and that ended up being the difference. Right. I mean, Verlander was really good. Um, Jose or Kitty was really good. Um Then uh, what's his name who pitched in game three? Uh, Javier was very good in game three guys, just like a postseason dude, I guess did walk five batters, but he only gave up one hit and struck out nine. So um, yeah, I mean, just pitching was really good for the Astros. They hit a ton of home runs. I mean, it's just the reality is, for what Minnesota wants to do, and I think they're in a good spot. They had a pretty good farm system, had some guys coming up who could help. But they go, they you know, they've already said that they would like to bring Sonny Gray back, but I'm not super sure at what price. Um, I think Sonny Gray is a good fit there. I think that you know their interests align in that. Um, but they need a little bit more pitching. Um, the bullpen is really good. I wouldn't make too many adjustments there, and they need to find a way to not strike out as much as an offense um they were I believe what second in team strikeout percentage as an offense this year that's a kind of like you don't want to have a glaring flaw I'm not saying strikeouts like are really important and everything like that for an offense but if you're 29th in it that's probably bad so you you want to avoid glaring holes because those things can pull you know pop up in the postseason and it kind of did and uh that's kind of the step that they need to take. But I will say that game four was a very, very good game. Very intense, came down to the wire. Um, Good, good watch. And the Twins played the Astros pretty tough for three of the four games. And so definitely, you know, an improvement over years past postseason performances for sure. Um, But it'll be interesting to see what um, Minnesota does moving forward here. Houston back in the ALCS for the seventh straight year. I mean, they are truly a postseason juggernaut.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you, you kind of references with the strike Gods of like you can't, like you don't want to be bottom of the barrel in something. I, I'm gonna, ju- I, I, make this, I make this comparison literally everywhere in any sort of argument, like, and uh, on fire. Shining, I think I've said this like eight times already, but I'm gonna keep saying it. It's like in foot like in football you 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 can't you you have to be one of the best passing offenses in the NFL to win a Super Bowl. The same way you have to be one of the best home run teams in baseball to win a World Series, you have to be one of the best three-point shooting teams in the NBA to win a title. Like that, those are all facts of life. But you can't be like hilariously bad in the paint. If you're like an NBA team, like you can't just like let any center dog walk you, right? Like you're that's that's not sustainable. Um, you know there is a thing as being too small, even even in an era where a small ball is, you know, a better strategy than it's ever been. Um, and you know in the NFL you can't not that you. You can't win without a running game, but you know you kind of need one to put guys away. Like if you're up a certain amount of scores, you, you'd like to have a running game. Or you know, obviously defense is extremely important. You can't have like the worst defense in the NFL and expect to win a lot of games. Um, and in baseball, not that you can't strike out a lot and not win a lot of games, but you can't be one of, if not the worst, at something. I think. And and you know, not that you can't win a World Series like that. The Twins could win, could have won the World Series. I truly do believe that, but you can't be like you're not going to beat the Astros 60 times out of hundred or 55 times out of hundred. You'll lose 60 times out of hundred or 65 or 70. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, so that's the way I feel about that. As you mentioned, the bullpen, that bullpen is sick. That pitching staff is sick. They, they do, they do have to figure out if they're going to bring back Sonny Gray. They do have to figure out if they're going to bring back Kensei Maeda. Um, I think they'll go out and be aggressive for starting pitching. They certainly – like, they'll they'll have a little bit of an outfield situation where they'll see if they have to – if they can move, like, a Trevor Larnack and get, like – I don't know if you're going to get a good starter for him, but like a reliever or something, just get some value back in return. Um, I know they want to get a replacement probably for Michael A. Taylor or just bring back Michael A. Taylor. They really got, a, I think they got a lot of value out of him, even though the WRC plus was still like 95 ish. Like that's still a route. Like they got a lot of home runs and defense out of him. You have a big question about Byron Buxton and what his long-term viability looks like. Correa, I, you have to ask the question of how good he'll be next year. You do like, that's a question now. How, how healthy will he be? how uh, how much value you're going to get out of him. Because for a team like the Twins, who there was a clear hard cap on what they're willing to spend, if both of these investments or even one of these investments blow up in their face entirely, that's going to prevent them maybe from making a move that allows them to win a World Series, right? Like, Let's. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have spent on Correa. Uh, I think that signing Carlos Correa at the time makes a ton of sense, and it could make a ton of sense next year. Like, Correa's had those random years where he's just unplayable not unplayable, but like for his standards, not where he should be. And Buxton is a high, highly volatile player as an injury prone guy himself. Um, but there are question marks about this Twins team that they're gonna have to answer. And the only issue is, I don't know how much money they're gonna have to answer those questions.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good team. Definitely something worth building off of the benefit. If you're a twins fan, hearing this is that the rest of your divisions long-term outlook is not good. So you're still the top dog in that division, um, which is encouraging, but um, yeah, I'm, there's, there are some concerning uh, things. If you are in there as Jordan Montgomery just strikes out Jordan Alvarez, my dog, um, But, yeah, I mean, I think Houston should be all over, like, Eduardo Rodriguez. I know we already mentioned him with the Dodgers and everything, but, like, that's a good fit for them. Um, Another guy would be Aaron Nola. I'd be curious to see if they're interested in. That's probably, like, those guys might be above their price range, but, man, those are exactly the guys that they need. So, curious to see what they do when we get to that point. Moving forward. The Atlanta versus Philly series was certainly the series that captured the headlines the most, but it was also, you know, there were were only two series that didn't get swept. And I would say the Phillies controlled this series more than the Astros controlled the twin series. um, Despite the fact that the outcomes were very similar, Um, but man, Atlanta, just wasn't healthy enough. Their starring pitchers weren't good enough, and much like Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna and you know a bunch of other stars on that team weren't good enough. Man, Austin Riley was really the only guy who who kind of showed up at multiple times.
1: Yeah, I mean, what do you even like the Braves? It was a repeat of 2022. I, I I know that you know, again, great regular season very well ran team all of those things are 100 true and i also believe this i do believe that some people are over exaggerating what they need to do like I, i don't know if you saw the athletic article it's like something needs to change in the core maybe off the field maybe like mentality wise clubhouse wise but like if that team if you run that team out X, like, let's say out of a hundred times, they win the world series enough time, like more than probably anybody else in terms of just like a percentage. They, they had the highest world series odds for a reason. That's, feels really good. Then you get healthy starting pitching wise. They need a you know, Max Fried, Spencer Strider. You expect them in 2024 to be very good. Um, you know, I don't know what you're going to get out of Charlie Morton. He's, you know, the year older and kind of, you know, there are questions about his health. Um, you're going to have to sign a starter. We talked about Sonny Gray, like that would actually be like a really cool addition for them. A guy who just kind of, you know, can go out there and be, you know, anywhere between your one to two to three. Um, I think they'll need two starters, honestly. And this is a good market for teams that need two starters. Cause you can find like that top of the line or like two or three, even caliber guy, and then find a good flyer. Like you can, have, you can go sign Frankie Montas and for like what, $10 million, $12 million, let's say. And that would be a really nice like flyer to take. And the Braves are the type of team that can take that flyer because if he's not good, somehow we'll still win like 50% of his starts because they're just, they just bop, right? They just hit the crap out of the ball. Now, are they going to be as good offensively the next year as they were this year? Probably not. Will they be better pitching wise? I think so. We're like, I think it'll kind of bounce itself out into still being either the best or second best team in the national league. Um, But dude, it, You can't, man, what happened after game two, just like the media storm like that just can't happen to a team. That can't that can't happen to a team. You cannot get that rattled by something like that. You know what I mean? Obviously, I mean, and and Max, I'll let you segue into this, but we all know what we're talking about here, right?
0: Yeah, so if you don't know, you probably are living under a rock. So say hi to Patrick for me. Um little spongebob reference for you yeah that's right spongebob on this podcast um so what happened was after let's go back to game two right um how that game ends nick castellanos hits the ball to the right center field wall michael harris makes really an incredible catch and harper was trying to score on the ball and i want to preface this by saying i actually think that was okay base running Um, because if that ball is not caught and you don't score, that's bad. Like, you need to find a way to at least get a run out of that play. Um, And so Harper had rounded second when Harris had caught the ball. Harris threw it in. Riley, with good defense, backed up the play and threw Harper out at first base. It was an incredible play. Really, really a tremendous play. Um, And I want to give credit to Atlanta for making that play. After the game, in the clubhouse, um, while the media was around, uh, Orlando Arcia was saying attaboy, Harper has like kind of a chirp and everything like that. Um, and Jake Mintz, one of the uh, a writer blogger for Fox uh, website, um, Fox Sports website, he is a credentialed member of the Baseball Writers Association of America, um, reported that. Arcia had said those things and it got to Harper and Harper proceeded to hit two home runs in game three and then stare down Arcia after each one. And I'm not going to lie to you. That was sick. That was super cool. That was awesome. And it's just all in good fun. Like this is postseason baseball. You, you know, you talked a little smack and you got hit like, it's okay. It's fine. But then after the game, Arcia is like mad that it got out which is crazy like you said it in front of reporters do you think like they're just not going to hear this loud chirp that's going on in the clubhouse like from way the reporters described it was there were cameras like being set up like if they he had said in front of cameras of course they would have heard it like what do you why are you mad that it got heard you said it own up to it own up to the fact that you that you said it like yeah be like yeah He got thrown out on a double play. I was talking about that play. Bryce Harper doesn't need that extra motivation. He's already really damn good. Like he's going to perform because he's one of the best players in baseball. You you gave him extra motivation and you paid for it. Okay, whatever. That's fine. But Atlanta's response to it of like the clubhouse is sacred and all this other nonsense. When there are reporters there, if you speak about something around them, unless you specifically say this is off the record, which is usually something in a private conversation, it's fair game. That can be used. And I was just amazed that this had, like, all of this was coming out. I was like, this is so stupid. Only in baseball is this a story. Only in baseball. And it's only a story because Atlanta, the players themselves made it one. It wasn't a story because of the media. It wasn't a story because of Bryce Harper. It was a story because Atlanta's players got thin skinned and let it get into their head. And then we had some fans saying like, Oh, RCA can't even speak English. Like how could he say something like that? Which I'm going to be upfront nonsense. That's inherently very racist. Like, that is a very racist thing to say. Um, and then when R.C. admitted to saying it, they were just like, well, why would, why would a media member report on that kind of thing? And, you know, maybe if, I guess if you're Alana Rizzo and MLB Network, you would agree with that too. But nonsense, nonsense. It is fair game to report on something like that. Who cares? Just go out there and do your job. And, it, and in game four, like, the players seemed rattled from it. How do you get rattled from that? Obviously, in game four, um, I give Spencer Strider credit. He didn't seem rattled from it. He pitched fairly well. I mean, he gave up two home runs to Nick Castellanos, I know. But, like, you throw 100 miles per hour and somebody turns it around, just tip your cap, man. Like, that's just impressive that was very impressive hitting from Nick Castellanos to turn around hundred miles an hour like that. Um, But the Atlanta let Strider down. He pitched pretty well in his two starts there and he didn't even really have his great stuff outside of the first inning in, uh, in game four. So yeah, I mean, if they, they really let Strider down Um, just a very surprising, again, I hate to say this, but like mentally weak outcome here, from atlanta like you're grown ass
1: men this should not bother you get over it i i don't disagree look uh, the way i view this situation uh when it comes to atlanta and when it comes to you know just how they handled it number one um you know referring to uh you know the comments that rc had made like you mentioned it's nothing terrible he said it wasn't like he um you know he directly chirped. He yeah, he chirps. chirps. That's part of baseball. You know, every every team, every player has. There there are definitely more chirps you hear on the field that have that that don't get reported, or don't get caught uh, on tape. Things that you can't necessarily uh, decipher uh, on the field that will never be reported on because you can't. You know what I mean? Like, there's no right. Right, there's no discernible proof of it. And I'm sure that that RC will tell you that. I'm sure Harper will tell you that. I'm sure Harper will tell you, hey, I've heard <laughs> I've heard way more uh direct chirps on the field or whatever it may be. Um, but I mean, you see that clip of Arceal like turning around like mocking the fans, and then like, hey, like get back in here, like, come on, what are we doing? Um, it just it looked like, yeah, like what are we doing? Right? Like, what's how is this that big of a story to you? Um Har- like you mentioned, like Harper didn't hit two home runs because Arcia spoke his quote. He hit two home runs because he's Bryce fucking Harper, right? Like he's 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 really good, yeah. Like he's (laughs) an amazing hitter. And Bryce Elder threw him a double cheeseburger meal with a side of fries and a a large Coke, right? Like that's Literally,
0: see his eyes get big when that pitch was coming in, which was a really cool shot. Like actually, also seeing his eyes widen up like that.
1: Like, what is Brian Snicker doing there, man? He managed this.
0: He managed the the series so terribly in that
1: game. Why? Like, look, it's not that's not Spencer Strider, right? Like we just talked about Spencer Strider. That isn't Spencer Strider. That isn't the guy you say, all right, ride or die with this guy. This is who I'm going with. You know what I mean? When the Yankees leave in quote unquote, leaving Garrett Cole too long, when the, you know, let's say Miami quote unquote, leaves in Alcantara for too long, or, uh, you know, like, oh, you left in Logan Webb or Corbin Burns or any of those guys for too long. You, see, you put it in quotes because, you know, losing with your ace on the mound, there's, not really, there's nothing really too wrong with that, right? You can't get too mad about it. It's your ace, right? You know, like that's the best pitcher in your pitching staff. There is a human element to this game still of like, hey, you want your ace to feel like he can go deep into games and, you know, handle things on his own and get in and out of jams because that's what you pay them for. That's why, you know, they have the status of the ace status of their team, right? Um, But... Bryce Elder isn't that, right? Like, I mean, no disrespect to Bryce Elder, no. but I don't think he would tell you that either. I don't think I'm not say- even sure he's any good, <laughs> right? Like, there are questions about whether he's a good starter. He can't get swings and misses. He can't uh, overpower guys with his stuff. He's one of the slower throwing guys in the league. There is nothing about his arsenal that suggests this is the type of guy who's going to overpower Bryce Harper in this spot and get him to to uh, swing and miss, right? Like even pitcher like Aaron Nola did not have a great 2023 but his stuff and his command are so good that in any given playoff start he can overpower guys and he can dominate right Bryce Elder just doesn't have that again He's not like, that guy uh, right i and i again i don't want to like harp too much and just like shitting on Bryce Elder cuz like I, I i don't know i feel kind of bad like uh but uh, do i feel bad i feel bad for him maybe but not like the Braves uh but overall like drawing back to the to the quotes thing and the Braves as a whole in this series the Phillies that you just went into Philly and they dog walked you again like the Phillies not saying there's some psychological advantage here I don't want to sound like Skip Bayless with like they have a psychological edge they just want it more blah 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 it's like I think the Braves got caught up in something that doesn't matter I think they got distracted by something that doesn't matter I think they got uh too caught up in trying to you know disprove something that like like i don't even think the phillies would be like wow you said this i like you guys are terrible people they're like thanks man i appreciate it like (laughs) now we get to put on our jersey on a shirt when we we beat you guys you know what i mean um the like look at the phillies there was a did you did you see the celebration after where they say like and uh shirts
0: were awesome not
1: even just the shirts they were like uh f whoever the bright the braves f whoever we play next and always the mets they yeah. just, they singled out three different organizations and said, F you to them. And nobody's sitting there like, wow, don't let the Diamondbacks hear this. It's like, uh, okay. Like, that's how, like, I, I don't mean to be rude again, but like, that's how adults handle it. That's how grown men playing a professional sport. Handle that's
0: what them. people who are confident do.
1: Right. They're not like, I feel like the Braves tried really hard to prove that they were. They
0: played scared.
1: Yeah. And again, like. like I... a- the, we're an ahead, analytically,
0: sorry. we're an analytically inclined podcast here. Like we we're, we're all into the numbers. But again, I'm a pitching coach. I work with guys every day. I can tell when some guys are playing scared and some guys are playing confident. Atlanta played scared, and it kind of reflects on Brian Snicker a little bit too. In Game Four, it almost worked. It came very close to working. Alvarado walked two in a row and didn't throw a single pitch in the strike zone in the seventh inning, right? Um, And Michael Harris is coming up. And Snicker just pulls him and puts in a righty um, with Acuna on deck. And so that made Rob Thompson, who managed this series brilliantly, by the way, really did a tremendous job. I knew exactly when to pull his starters, Know exactly when to go to play certain matchups. But he made Rob Thompson's job a lot easier here. He brings in Kimbrell, who, yes, does walk in They're the guy and then sets up Acuna with the bases loaded, and Acuna just missed. Very nice play from Rojas. But to me, Alvarado just walked back-to-back dudes. Didn't throw a single pitch close to the strike zone. At least forced Thompson to think about it. Leave Harris up there. Who then he either leaves Alvarado, who clearly cannot throw a strike, all of a sudden, in, or he goes and gets him to bring in Kimbrell, where now you have the advantage, you know, lefty on right per se. That was scared managing. Don't you agree? Like that
1: was just a very strange move. It it felt like they were digging for like, hey, we need just like we we need to. I don't know. It felt like they just were trying to make moves that they make something happen to make something happen right right you know like it's like hey we gotta shake things up it's like you were one of the greatest offenses in the modern era you just need to play baseball you know what i mean like just relax you know what i mean like it's kind of like i I guess that's kind of the best way to put it this also doesn't look very good on Snicker in terms of like the fact that the players let it get to them this much like i i think brian snicker i don't i'm not saying like oh he's a terrible manager like i'm sorry i I would i think that's a stretch too like i think that would be overreacting a little bit um but definitely like hey we got to rethink why these things happened and ask yourself some tough questions that's basically it right just ask yourself some tough questions and figure this out um and you know just the last thing i want to throw on this too is if you've really convinced yourself that two things number one that that Eddie that Eddie Rosario uh, Orlando Arcia couldn't say at a boy which by the way I remember I think it was a clip where like Eddie Rosario was like he can say whatever he wants or whatever the bleep he wants in the background he said in Spanish which like I kind of actually thought that was kind of funny um, but if you think he couldn't say the word at a boy or I guess the words at a boy and, and the name Harper because he's only spoken in Spanish to the, to the media we got to ask you we got to ask a couple questions about if you've ever like spoken to a person who speaks Spanish in your life and then number two you mentioned, like, Ilana Rizzo, you, you, and this kind of ties into that. The instant, like, reaction to either, A, discredit that the report was true, and then when it was confirmed, discredit Jake as a as a journalist, as a reporter, as a person in baseball, and saying, like, he just isn't. You know, like, basically, I mean, of Rizzo basically uh, echoed the sentiment of a lot of Brace fans. Like, oh, this guy isn't professional. This guy broke some ethical code. He Nonsense. did what baseball major league baseball and the atlanta braves permit reporters and writers to do which is have access to the clubhouse and record and report on observations he wasn't the only person there in that room rcu was aware that cameras are rolling there was a audio caught of him saying it now that never got leaked but but it is still a thing that exists out there how can? if your first reaction is I don't like these news, so I have to assume they're not true. I have to discredit them when they are true and then say that, you know, it was an unethical that this report even exists in the first place. It speaks a lot to the media literacy we're at, like for baseball, for the world as a whole, Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, that is a re- that looks really bad on like just how people interpret or, or or receive information or react to information overall. It was really just an ugly. It showed the ugly side of baseball and the ugly side of baseball fandom as a whole.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, it it was it was just a very ugly mess that really just didn't need to happen. And but it happened because again, the Atlanta players let it happen. And and that's that's the takeaway from all from all of this is just like, hey man, you could have just not could have just ignored it. Like you could have just been like, yeah, I said it, whatever. That would have been the right thing to do. That would have been like, yeah, we we I said that. But it's I, I, we're gonna move on from this. But yes, I can com- I completely agree. Um Philly's moving on. Uh Arizona's moving on. Houston and Texas are moving on. They are currently playing in the middle of game one. It is the bottom of the second. Um One to nothing, Texas, as we are recording. Ryan, is Houston going back to the World Series or is this magical Texas run going to continue?
1: So um, I am going to make this decision based on if this ball isn't out or not. Okay, so uh, the Rangers, uh, I think, will be going to uh, the World Series. It'll be a six-game series. I think the Rangers will take one in Houston. I don't know if it's game one or game two. I think they'll take two out of three at home uh, and then they'll win the decisive game six at Houston. Um, I think it'll be a very close series. I don't think that the Houston Astros should be discounted in any sort of way, nor should they be viewed as anything other than the favorites. I'm sorry. Uh, if you win the if you win the American League in 2021 and 2022 and almost win in 2020 and win it in 2019 and you know almost win in 2018 and win it in 2017 and are uh, you're the defending World Series champions and you've been there seven straight years in the ALCS, all of those accolades should result in you being the favorite. I understand that's not the most predictive measure, but... Man, I mean, how are you gonna argue with that, right? Like, they should be the favorite. The Astros should be the favorite. The Astros are the team that I think everybody is going to pick, or most people are going to pick, and rightfully so. But I'm willing to go against the curb. Uh, it, it, for my fallen brothers in Mount Minnesota, uh, my Twins FC, uh, my 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 guys, we're we're riding with Texas now. Texas will uh will get the job done that uh, the Minnesota unfortunately couldn't pull off. I'm gonna
0: agree with you. I think Texas and six is a solid choice here. Um they are just hitting at a very high clip, at a very, very high clip. Their offense is clicking. And when that offense clicks, I mean, it's really hard to stop. So I know Houston has the pitching to do it. And I think they probably have the pitching advantage in this series. Um, I actually don't even think it's probably close either. I think they have a big advantage because their bullpen is much better. Uh, Brian Abreu, by the way, absolute dude in the playoffs, just unbelievable. Um, But yeah, I agree. I think Texas is going to win in six games. I think the offense is too good. I would like Texas to win too. Like I just, I would like to see Houston lose at some point, I guess. Uh, I'm sorry to my Astros fans, friends that might listen to this and everything like that, but I like Jordan Montgomery. I like Corey Seager. I like Marcus Simeon. I like Bruce Bochy as a manager. I think he's a very good manager, hall of fame manager, obviously. Um, you know, they got, they got the people I like, and it would be, it would be good to see Texas get back to the world series. I have had some friends who work for that organization. Um, and again, Texas went for it. Houston did too. Uh, but Texas went for it big time at the trade deadline. They were one of the obvious winners of the deadline. And I would love to see them make the world series to like prove that like, Hey man, spending money going for it. Like it can be an effective thing to do. Um, They aren't my pick to win the World Series. That's because I think you'll agree with me. I think the Phillies are ultimately the the team of destiny here. They just look really good
1: that was the word that was the phrase i was going to use but would it not be hilarious if the diamondbacks won the world series like it would kind of it would be
0: so funny it would be so so cool though
1: it would be like because like i know the the funniest thing about it is that they beat philly or they beat the astros uh i don't think the same effect would happen if they beat the rangers and i'm not saying that because the rangers aren't the same caliber but because the rangers don't have like this is their first year back in the playoffs and i feel like If they ever, if they get to the World Series, how do you argue their season's a failure, right? Not that if Philly got to the World Series, their season would be a failure, but you'd be like, damn, we lost the World Series again. Like, you would understand why fans would be like, damn, this sucks. You know what I mean? Or if you're a Nationals fan, you're like, wow, we won the World Series last year, and this year we didn't win it. You know what I mean? It's like another year where, like, we lost the World Series, which we probably should have beaten. Could you imagine the dialogue of, like, the postseason and, like, the brackets? If the Diamondbacks beat the Phillies and the Astros in the playoffs, like that would be really funny. I think it would be hilarious, um, but I agree. It'll be, the. I, I think it's the Phillies. Um, I, I want to, I, you know what? No, I'm going against the grain here. The Texas Rangers and jo- Jordan Montgomery has the vibe. Jordan Montgomery will be the the winning pitcher in the world series game that clinches it for the Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers will be winning the world series. That's I'm going, going all the way. That's it. We're going against the grain. We can't have the same world series picks Max. pick max. I'm sorry. I got to look, I got to do something different.
0: I'm I'm completely okay with that. Um, I would be – a Texas-Philly World Series would also be, like, immensely fun, in my opinion. How many um, home
1: runs do you think? So, that's
0: exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. So many home runs, and we're going to end our postseason recap on this. Uh, if you follow my Twitter, you know that I kind of been doing this for a few years now, but I try to tweet as best I can. When the Dodgers are playing in the dive it was a little tough because those West Coast games when you have to get up earlier. Um, I miss being on the West coast sometimes just for that reason. Um, but the team that hits more home runs than their opponent this postseason is 14 and one, if you want to win in the playoffs, you got to hit home runs. And once again, it is being proven this year, uh, damn you, Jose Leclerc and Aaron Hicks for ruining the uh, perfect record, but that's okay. It's 14 and one. That's pretty damn good. I can't really argue too much about that. Um, moving forward, we're going to spend just not too long, but a couple minutes discussing um, a previous topic that we had talked about, one that I actually really enjoy talking about, which was recruiting and high school recruiting. We're doing a bit of a follow up on that in kind of a different manner here. Uh, division one high school recruiting closed. And so now division one schools cannot go talk to high school guys until March. Um, so this is what's kind of considered in all baseball aspects at, at almost all levels, the off season um, and how off season training can affect your recruitment. So if you are a high school senior listening to this and you still haven't gotten a division one offer, I don't want to lie to you. The odds of you getting a division one offer in the spring are very, very low. Um, things might change in a couple of years now that they're only allowed to talk to juniors and seniors and everything like that. But unless you take a big jump, which is what we're going to get into in a bit with all season training, they're probably not going to talk to you. So you should start evaluating your D2, your D3 options and everything like that. If you are a junior a sophomore or maybe even a freshman, you still want to be able to be on the lookout of these things. You cannot talk to these schools. They may invite you to camps and stuff like that. Um, definitely recommend uh going to certain college camps and everything like that uh it's a very good way to get noticed and stuff outside of posting on twitter um, and kind of shooting emails and everything like that but if you're listening to this the first thing you want to do when you're heading into the off season is identify the area of your game that needs the most work so if you are a hitter And you're like, yeah, I I need to improve my power. Like I'm, I'm just, I got good bat. I got good contact ability. I can, I can pull the ball. I can go the other way. I can leverage my barrel pretty well. And I got good speed, but like, you know, my max exit velocity is like 88, 90. You are a good candidate for bat speed training, which Ryan has spoken extensively about on previous episodes. Um, but you're also a good tra- candidate for lifting. Now, Ryan, do you kind of want to go and give a recap of what bat speed training and kind of what power and do power creation training looks like in the offseason for some hitters.
1: Yeah, so obviously, you know, you want to go under the right program. You don't want to just, you know, say, hey, you know what? I'm going to just start swinging this super heavy bat. And that's bat speed training. Um, You know, you need to set clear, uh, concise objectives whenever you're talking about trying to, you know, see tangible growth. You want to measure where you're at before. Make sure you adequately measure yourself during the process and at the end. Um, You, you want to handle things in a way that uh, y- you should consult the right people for that. right? Like, I don't try to go into it on your own, just, like, balls to the wall, just like, hey, you know what? I think I can figure this out on my own. You can anyone can benefit from talking to people who uh, specialize in these regards. Social media has created an incredible advantage in that regard where there are so many smart people that you don't have to talk to, but you can just reference their work or, you know, yeah, in some cases you can talk to them and it's awesome. Um, But you know, power creation is super important. Obviously we're talking about, you know, guys that get drafted. And honestly, if, if you were talking like D1, all that stuff, At the back of your mind, at some point in your life, you've thought to yourself, or it's become your goal to get drafted. I I feel like there are not a lot of players who are dead set on playing D1 or playing a really high level of college baseball who haven't at least considered getting like, hey, I would like to get drafted. Here's the thing, and, and this is a harsh reality. The guy, the slap hitter on your high school team who, you know, just has zero power tool he just puts a lot of balls in play and they bounce weird because the dirt sucks in your home field. And the fielders that you're playing are terrible and it's cold in the Northeast or whatever it may be. Those guys don't get drafted. It's the dude who can hit a ball. Like if you hit a ball a hundred, hundred something miles an hour, you're getting drafted. Right? Like it's like pitching, right? Like dude, you're a left-handed and you, you hit 94, 95 on the radar and you're, and you're at any point in your life, right? Like a seems going to draft you, dude. Like if you stay healthy, it seems going to think about it, right? Like, you have you have to think of you have to think of getting drafted as different than just trying to win high school or college games, because those objectives oftentimes don't always overlap. Now, hitting home runs wins college games and high school games because that's scoring runs. Right. Um, but you again, like there are just things that work in game at, at those levels that don't work at the higher levels because it's a different type of baseball right like professional baseball at the major league level is or not even just major league minor league level all that stuff it's not the same game right like it's not uh you know you think bunting you can bunt the crap out of a team in high school and you will win a lot right like i i remember this one playoff game we did we had uh, my freshman year we just suicide squeezed the team to to, to death we scored like 16 runs on them and most of them were suicide squeezes try that at the major league level try that the minor league level i mean that's not working right it's there's there are tangible things that work you want to have skills that are going to translate to the higher levels power creation bat speed training as you mentioned lifting just things of that nature that allow you to hit higher bat speeds and hit higher exit velocities and generate more game power and raw power those are the things that are going to get you drafted when we're talking about swing path all that stuff that stuff can get fine-tuned at the, at the at the professional level right like that's why if you get if you're a guy with ridiculous tools to get drafted by the dodgers you're in heaven right like you might not be the best player on your high school team in terms of like results. You actually probably are if you're getting drafted. But, you know, in terms of like results, you might not have like, you know, you could have probably been better if you cut a little bit of your swing, right? And just tried to put more balls in play because, you know, you your bat is probably like 400, 400 500 at that level, right? Um, but it's not a sustainable way to win at those higher levels. You have to, again, focus on skills and, and progress in skills that are going to translate. And, you know, again, Max, and I think you can second this, there is just, it's just, there's a difference between playing to win only to win in high school or only to win in college and then playing to win at those levels. But also with the mindset, the, the long-term goal of I'm trying to get drafted. I'm trying to make it to that next level and knowing what skills get you drafted. If you're listening to this and you're throwing 83, 84, and you're in your senior year, you got to throw harder. Like if you want to get drafted, you, you have to throw harder. I, I don't, I don't care what your ERA is. I don't care what your whip is. I don't care what your strikeout rate is. You have to throw harder. You absolutely have to throw harder. That's not even a question. I, and I think that's harsh, but I think that's fair to say. Right, Max?
0: I would agree, unless you're 83, 84, and you're throwing it like a you know, submarine level and right. the ball moves like 24 inches, which if you do that, you're like one of four guys in the country who can do that. So, um, yeah, generally speaking, velocity, exit velocity, strength gets you to the next level. Not just drafted, but the Division One level. Um you know, this is not knocking Division two baseball, Division three baseball, NAI or JUCO. I was a JUCO coach. Um, there's a lot of really good quality baseball at those levels and everything. And if that's the level you want to play, and then coast off into the sunset per se, that's perfectly fine, man. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think if you're not trying to be the best baseball player you can be, then you're doing a disservice to yourself. Um, as you said, like you're you have to find the program. And you have to find the solution that works best for you. Um, Just going out there and being like, I'm going to chuck plyo balls super hard and that'll help my velocity with no real direction. Bad idea. Can I go take a bigger bat and swing the, you know, swing the hell out of it and hope that helps with my bat speed. Not a good idea. No, you want to make sure that what you're doing on the field. So if you're in your bat speed training, if you're in your velocity training, or if you're in a pitch design kind of phase, you need to fine tune your stuff a little bit. Let's say you already are 92 to 95 as a high school senior or a JUCO guy or a Division One guy, or you got the velocity edge stuff down. You just need a pretty good secondary pitch or a better changeup, and so you're spending more times on pitch design days. You want to make sure that those days are also lining up that your lifting is matching that as well. Um, you know, when you're going through more power based velocity type stuff your lifting is going to be a little bit more intense because it's going to require more power outputs and everything. But if you're in more of a stability maintenance, consistency kind of thing, you got to make sure that your lifting and your conditioning match that as well. Um, You're not ever trying to, it just doesn't make sense to be going through like a, a, you know, we're trying to get really strong on the lifting and conditioning side of things, but we're maintaining on the baseball side. Like you want to get stronger throughout. Yes. That's definitely a part of it when you're in season and everything. And in the off season, if you're still doing pitch design stuff for maybe you're just fine tuning your contact ability as a hitter or working on your defense, whatever it may be, but it just doesn't make sense to be like all in on the power side of the lifting and not all in on the power side on the baseball field or vice versa. Um, you need to, you need to do what's best on both sides of the ball. Um, with that said, I mean, there's kind of a couple of different thought processes on how long these things can take. Um, and also how long you should shut down and ramp up and ramp down and everything. Um, you know, if you're a pitcher and you've thrown a lot, what you're kind of going to want to do is after your last outing, you're going to want to take like the next two to three weeks, maybe ramp down. Um, our head coach at Santa Barbara city college hate the word deload, but that's kind of what it is. Um, You won't necessarily get off a mound. You'll kind of just keep throwing, give your arm kind of a chance to just reset rather than just going cold Turkey. Um, And then depending on who you talk to and what research is out there, Eric Cressy kind of recommends like a six week shutdown. You just don't pick up a ball you'll lift. And then, you know, you kind of ramp back up for the season and everything. You know, maybe if we have the opportunity, if we are lucky enough to get some big leaguers on, they can kind of talk about their off season programs as well. But generally speaking, like that's pretty common as you go through about a month and a half, maybe even two months, depending on how much you threw, uh, of just no throw, um, let your body heal, work on getting, you know, your body back in shape and stuff, um, maintaining that and everything. you know, if you're a high school guy listening to this, it's not you don't really have that kind of opportunity to take two months and stuff, or you don't really have the opportunity to maybe even take six weeks, depending on what level you're going to. And you know, if you're going to showcases and everything, but you do need to find a way to give yourself some time off. Um, your body only has so many bullets that it can take, especially on the pitching side of things. If you're a position player it's good to take time off just to let your body heal and everything like that. So that way you're not getting wear and tear injuries, but as a pitcher, you really need to be able to shut down for at least at different points of the year, at least like two months or so um, to be able to give yourself and your body the ability to uh, reset and um, it'll prevent arm injuries. It'll prevent injuries in general with that. But as, as you said, Ryan, like you got to find the program that works for you. And that can be tough. But as you said, there's a lot of different resources out there. If you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I'm at, you can go to Tread Athletics. If you're on the West Coast, you can go to Driveline. Um, if there's a facility near where you are in your hometown, look them up, see what they do. Um, you know, if you're in the Sacramento area, once again, not a Sacramento reference, killing it. Um, you know, you can go to places like... Uh, Hyperthrive Athletics or Optimum Athletics. I mean, I know those places. I worked at Hyperthrive for a bit. Great place. Tommy uh, Saliba, great guy. Um, So, yeah, you have options, and so you just need to kind of figure out what's best for you. Um, And I think if you're listening to this, and you know you're kind of at this point, especially if you're a high school senior and you haven't gotten an offer from a Division One school. You're kind of reeling a little bit and everything like that. Like, what do you what do you need to do to get to the next level? If you're a JUCO guy and you haven't gotten an offer yet, JUCO recruiting is much later now. Like, you got to be patient and everything. Um, just take things in and control you can control. And part of that is your off season plan. And so, come up with a really, really good off season plan. Ryan, any more notes on on off season training?
1: Um, no, I mean, you mentioned rest. I think it's really important. Look, when you're, you have to treat, I think there are, there are a lot of parallels between like weightlifting and get Cause weightlifting is part of, you know, getting stronger. So, you know, those kinds of things will translate. when it comes to baseball training, your body builds its muscles back up on those that, that builds back up with rest, right? You don't get stronger while you're lifting. You're getting stronger in the recovery process, right? So if you're not taking that time to rest, if you are not prioritizing rest, um, you're not getting better. Right? Like you're just beating your body down. It's it's just where, into as you mentioned. Like your body only has so many bullets, only has so many innings, as only has so many pitches it can throw at a certain over a certain extended period of time. There's no reason to. You're not going to get anything out of. I've got to throw today and tomorrow and the day after that and do this and do that and that. Like there is a, there is a way to overwork your body. Right. There's a way to do it. Um. And there are a lot of guys who do that. Um. So don't feel the need to do it. Don't feel the need to push your body to an extent that it harms it, right? So um, that's that's really all I, I have to add in that regard.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Um, let your body tell you what you need to do. Um, don't try and push things. If you're feeling good, keep going. Um, especially if you're, again, I I can speak to this more on the pitcher side of things, but if you're going through like off season velocity programs and everything like that, you need to be very upfront and honest with your coach about, uh, or your trainer, if you feel anything at all, because you're going through such high stress things. Um, and so you need to be able to sit there and say, and, you know, okay, my body doesn't feel good. I need to take the second and let it relax or anything like that. Things can be picked back up. Things can be, again, you can re uh, on ramp back into it and everything. But if you're hurt, you're hurt. You need to say something um, and say something fast. Don't, don't wait. Don't try and play through it or anything like that. It's the off season for a reason, right? There's no reason to try and play through an injury in the off season or pitch through an injury or get stronger through an injury or anything like that. You're just doing damage in the long run. Ryan, thank you very much for joining me again tonight. Uh, very fascinating discussion here at the end about recruiting and offseason training and kind of taking things in stride and finding what's best for you and identifying the areas that you need to improve. A uh, very great discussion about managers and, you know, the postseason at hand right now. The Astros are threatening here in the bottom of the third inning. Jordan Alvarez is up with runners on first and second and two men down. Jordan Montgomery's in a bit of trouble. Who knows if he'll get out of it. Um, Atlanta. Atlanta fans, if you're listening to this, uh, toughen up a bit. Like, stop having such thin skin, man. Sorry, not to be rude, but like, stop having such thin skin. Uh, Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you soon.